listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Season 2 of Beyond the SIG is supported by the Pennsylvania Department of Health in partnership with the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Funding was provided through the Preventative Health and Health Services Block Grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Pennsylvania Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association's podcast, Beyond the SIG, is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome back to the second season of the Beyond the SIG podcast, giving a shot about diabetes. My name is Dr. Isabel Litvak, and with me, my co-host is Dr. Rachel Hay. Today's guests are ambulatory care pharmacist and dietitian from federally funded Qualified Health Center. We have a really cool bunch here with us today from the Zufall Health Clinic based in New Jersey. In particular, one of our guests today is an ambulatory care pharmacist and she helps to manage chronic diseases like diabetes, dyslipidemia, hypertension, and more through in-person and telehealth visits. Please welcome to our show, Dr. Julie Valdez, Pablo Fragoso, and Cynthia Lopez. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're so excited to have this whole group setting with us today. That's something that we haven't done yet on our podcast, so I imagine this is going to be a really awesome conversation. Thank you for having us. Hi, thank you for having us. So I'll really just jump right into it. If you guys want to tell us about your practice site and your team, and some of the individual roles that you guys have within diabetes management. Uh, sure. So we have uh, we started a clinical pharmacy services program back in 2012, and we got it accredited uh, to become a diabetes education site. And since then, we've grown to become about six sites big across our nine ambulatory care sites. Uh, primarily, we have pharmacists lead those sites. We have providers that internally refer patients to us. We have some criteria such as A1C greater than 9%, recently diagnosed, perhaps a gestational patient that needs some assistance. So based on those criteria, they refer them to either myself or Pablo or the pharmacist or Cynthia, who's a registered dietitian. And we kind of together figure out what the patient needs. Sometimes it's dietary, sometimes it's medication assistance or simplification of a regimen. Sometimes it's just devices, right? Like a glucometer, test strips. Um, so we basically are just an extension of the doctors because during those visits, they don't really have time to probe and delve into the patient's life. So, you know, prescribing insulin when someone doesn't have a fridge or giving someone sliding scale when they can't read or don't really have a good grasp of numbers. So we can kind of get into more of their lifestyle and the barriers than our medical staff can. So that's primarily what we do. Even though we're independent, uh, we work very closely with them in the collaborative practice environment. But, you know, we're, we're diabetes educators. So, you know, part of, our, part of our job is to kind of, you know, educate the client, you know, what is diabetes if they're new to it? What is prediabetes? How can I control it? 
you know, what can I do? You know, it's often I get the question, what can I eat? You know, um, what can I drink? You know, you know, what can I do so that I don't have to take medicine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes we get the ones that are really afraid to test, you know, their blood sugar. Well, how do I test, you know, so it doesn't hurt as much? Yeah. And as you can imagine, these things take a lot of times. And the reimbursement rate that insurances provide, sometimes it's not necessarily worth the time of a medical provider to go through all this. But for us down here, uh, I say downstairs because that's where our pharmacy clinic is located, uh, we're primarily grant funded. So the reimbursement rates, the fact that they're a bit lower doesn't impact us as much. So we can kind of spend the time. So Cynthia, I know you just mentioned it, that patients ask you what you could eat, what could they do? So what's some of that advice that you usually provide? Um, well, I, I try to uh, steer, steer them towards the plate method, the diabetes plate method, um, because I feel like it's a really simple tool that, you know, many people can relate to. And, and I think they feel a little bit less intimidated when you show them something like that at least it's like a place for them to start. And then once they start moving towards that, um, then, then I can dive into, you know, well, how many portions in, in that quarter plate uh, of carbohydrate can I, you know, what's a portion and what's my limit? You know, I really try to pay attention to, you know, we have to get into their lifestyle and we kind of, we go over it with like a, almost like a fine tooth comb and I start to begin to, you know, think of, okay, they're drinking juices, they're drinking sodas, they're not exercising. It, you're almost like a, a super sleuth going through their, their lifestyle to try to figure out what, what could they possibly simply start to change. And then it'll be up to the patient to decide, well, where do I want to start? I would definitely echo that. We let the patient lead because mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming, right? There's a medication component. There's a dietary component. There's a fitness component. There's right. stress and sleep. And then if right. someone's a mom and they have a job, like there's a lot of moving pieces. So we try not to overwhelm them and just focus on right. what's the largest barrier, the biggest bang for the buck right now, right? We're not trying to have them be perfect people. And I think that, you know, that keeps them coming back when we have them feel that they have a say in their care. We're collaborating with them. We're not just, you know, their healthcare provider, right. yeah, telling them what to do. It works better that way. You know, you, you see more compliance and they get excited about, you know, the progress and they want to come back. And, and it's, it's really, it's really heartwarming when they come back and you see their progress. Um, you feel like, you know, they, they're they're doing it. They're they're making the changes and um, sometimes. And then and well then and then you have other patients where you might care more than they care. <laughs> but yeah, for the for the handful that you know you do see that A one C drop a good five percent or something like that, it, it does feel really good. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's rewarding for sure. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, most most practitioners uh, upstairs uh, in our building. I uh, usually have about 15 minutes uh, with the patient. Uh, we get to spend a little bit more time, 30 minutes, sometimes more. Um, and we can focus a little bit more on other things such as uh, behavioral. Uh, sometimes we have patients that are diabetic, but they have issues with depression. 
we 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 can catch that and uh, and uh, refer them to somebody here in the clinic that can help them with that. Um, we have some screening tools that we use: questionnaires, PHQ nine, prepare survey, to identify some of those potential issues. We try not to go down too far, you know, down a route mm -hmm. that we're not a specialist in. But mm -hmm. I think patients get comfortable with you, right? And they like start opening up to us about certain things that. Right. Maybe we're not always uh, certified to handle, but we, of <laughs> right. course, have a listening ear and refer them to the appropriate staff member. Yes, right. and a lot more than you think. <laughs> right. 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 No, absolutely. I know you guys mentioned maybe some of the barriers that you face with certain patients. So could you speak more about some of those barriers that you've seen and how you've been able to address them? The most common barrier that I notice is uh, medication affordability. Uh, the price of insulin, the price of syringes, the price of test strips. Luckily, we have a 340B program that helps us. And also, we have good relationships with our contract pharmacy partners that can help minimize the costs. Um, some other barriers. That How about help? health literacy? Oh, yeah. Um, I have patients that say, yeah, I drink pineapple juice, but the sugar-free kind. And yeah. it's like, ah, oh, you can put sugar in it, but there's no such thing as sugar-free. But, it, but it's natural. Yeah, it's natural, right. It's like Caribbean or South, South American yeah. patients tend to think that fruits are healing, juices are healing. And yeah. it's not that they're not, but there's a lot of education involved in glycemic indices and things like that. Um, there's a lot of patients that like shakes. They think that the shake is like the cure-all, you know, to lose weight. Um, oh, I feel better, I feel good, you know, when I'm drinking these things that I'm making. And, you know, you have to maybe tweak it a little bit, tweak the recipe a little bit. So I, I see that a lot. Um, some food insecurity. Sorry. Food, yeah. Food That's a big burden, right? If you're making minimum wage, you know, a loaf of white bread is $1, whole grain bread is $5. Which one are you going to buy? So sometimes the patients know exactly what kind of foods are healthier, but there's an affordability problem. Um, I think, you know, being a dietitian, um, it's, it helps to be uh, budget savvy, <laughs> learning how to stretch a dollar, learning how to push them towards which kind of stores to buy some of the tools that they're going to need. Uh, I find that that's been helping me, you know, going to a farmer's market versus, you know, like one of those store, quote unquote, farmer's markets versus going to the grocery store. You might be able to save a couple of bucks on yeah. the on the produce going to a dollar store for like measuring cups you know could be as simple as that you know and produce can us. be expensive i steer them towards the frozen foods like the steamable bags like 99 cent veggie pouches because uh -huh. sometimes the fresh stuff it goes brown before you can finish it but uh -huh. the frozen you keep it in the freezer until you're ready uh -huh. and it's less cost so uh -huh. definitely keeping those tools in the back pocket also I feel like there's other big barriers that we're just um, not thinking. Sometimes patients, uh, like needle phobia, you know. So needle fear, you yeah. know. Testing and insulin application. Where to inject the insulin. Oh, yeah. They get real creative on the, the sites for insulin injection. Yeah, you got to get, you know, you become, uh, I mentioned before, like a super sleuth. You, you begin to realize okay, you know, what questions to ask, where do you inject, how often do you rotate the injection site, um, do you wash your hands before you test your blood sugar, you know, um, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you keeping a log, you know, yeah. 
using a once weekly GLP-1 agonist versus a, a daily uh, for those people that have needle fear um, or one where you don't see the electrolicity, where you don't see the, the basically don't see the needle. Um, or even so, some creative regimens, like not everyone who started on insulin needs to take it every day. How about let's start Monday, Wednesday, Friday, taking a basal insulin just three times a week to get used to it, see how you like it, and then we can increase the frequency from there. So I think, you know, we're really, really to work with where the patient's at and what they're willing to do. It's not just following, you know, a recipe or the status quo. You know. And like Pablo said, if there's a way to minimize a regimen, they're on something twice daily and it could be once daily or it could be once weekly, let's do that. If they're on twice a day and there's an extended release form that could do it once a day, let's do that. So Right. Yeah. Or, or instead of basal bolus, uh, going with the basal insulin and maybe adding a GLP-1 agonist. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing about your practice and just all the ways you guys are patient-centered. Um, I especially love the part about how you really empower your patients to take the lead of appointments and to manage their diabetes. And I can just tell it's a very patient-centered practice you have. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the DSMES classes. Uh, for example, who leads those and who are involved and are they virtual or are they in person? Just kind of that structure. Yeah, right now we're only doing one-on-one, -on -one, both telehealth and in person. Our last classes were in 2019, of course, the world uh, got shaken a little bit. But back when we did have the classes, we would plan for a roster of 20 and somewhere between six and nine would actually show. And we had like five to six weeks. So the first week would be the nutritionist talking about foods, talking about glycemic indices. Then the second week would be like a brown bag session with the pharmacist. So everybody go home, pull all your meds that you use and bring them in and we just talk through them. And then the third week would be like some kind of yoga person, Pilates person, something where it was exercise, but it wasn't like intimidating exercise, you know? And then the next one would either be a medical provider or an endocrinologist to really talk about how diabetes affects the rest of the body. Cause these patients, you're like, I have diabetes. Why are you also putting me on a statin and also putting me on an ACE and also putting me on an aspirin? Like that whole cardiovascular, uh, you know, picture the patients don't really have that they just say i have this one disease and you're also treating me for blood pressure now and cholesterol now and blood clot prevention now so to really have a medical provider that can in lay person's terms kind of say we know it's overwhelming to be on all these scripts but there's verified data that shows it prolongs your life it uh saves your kidneys uh it prevents you know buildup of lipids and clots in your system and then the last two weeks would be like miscellaneous. Sometimes we did a cooking class in our Morristown location at the wellness center. We have like a, a, a big stove, like a six pot stove, or we would do like a healthy snacks day, things like that. But that was the basic curriculum back when we did do that. Uh, right now we do, do we use Zoom? No, we use Doximity to do telehealth. We used to use Zoom, but it was a mess making sure they had the codes and you know, for someone who's not tech savvy, our average patient population is over 60. And that's not a demographic that likes to like fiddle with things. So yeah, using Doximity is better. You just click the button and or click the text message and it opens. Um, but we do like to have the first visit in person to exchange devices, glucometers, 
and then they have already met us and they're used to us. So that way, when they transition to telehealth, even if it's a little bit of a hassle, they know us, they like us, they don't mind fiddling. Whereas if the first visit is telehealth and they're not succeeding, they'll just like hang up because they're not invested. You know, if they come in that first time, they're already invested and they know that you care about them. So it's important to make that personal uh, connection the first time in person, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then meet with them via the telemed. Um, that connection always stays there, you know, the connection that you don't have, uh, you know, through a, uh, a television, uh, a monitor. No, they need to feel that, you know, because they're, you know, they're making major lifestyle changes. So they mm. need to know they've got a team behind them, you know, to kind of help them through that. Um, and we got a grant funded by an organization called Direct Relief. Uh, we were so lucky to get that grant because we bought a bunch of blood pressure monitors, glucometers, even digital scales. So the patient can literally take their own vitals during the telehealth uh, visit and we can correct their posture through the camera if they're slouching or one guy, you know, tries to take his blood pressure laying down on the bed. And I'm like, no, you, you got to get up, find a chair, you know, things like that. So. That's awesome. I definitely wanted to ask you guys about some of your impactful success stories, whether that was back in person, back in 2019, or maybe some of your success stories, even virtually, because it seems like you guys have a really nice team and you seem to really be able to motivate your patients to make these really big decisions and really big life changes. Does anyone come to mind? Yeah, there is. I can think of the pregnant lady in the closet, (laughs) remember at her job? Um, I have uh, one patient. uh, diabetic, of course, and uh, he's, he's uh, has a high BMI, um, and I've met with him um, maybe about ten times. Um, he he's made some lifestyle changes, uh, eating healthier, incorporating more vegetables, uh, monitoring his glucose level, um, having more protein in his diet, and uh, when he comes in, uh, I check his uh, his weight and. Um, uh, every month that he's been coming, he's been losing like two pounds. Uh, and he's so excited uh, that when he comes into the room, he gets up on the scale himself without me telling him. And he and he weighs himself and he shows me, uh, you know, the improvement. So uh, very motivated and uh, definitely stands out in my mind. I was, we, we had a gestational diabetic patient for the first time needing to use a glucometer, but she worked in her family business that's from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So we could never find an appropriate time for her to get into clinic. So during her shifts, she just went into literally like a broom closet. And through that, we're teaching her how to use her glucometer, what appropriate sites to test, appropriate foods and things like that. And, you know, she was able to keep her values at goal without needing insulin because it was touch and go for a while as to whether or not she would need it. And I was just like, wow, if we, you know, weren't able to accommodate her, it was like she would have to pick her family business over her baby. Like, how do you make a choice like that, you know? So just to be able to video uh, chat with her for that, I think it was 40 minutes mm. to be able to like show her that stuff. That to me stands out. So I was like, oh, this poor lady, but she, she did it. And she was so, you know, grateful to not have to, you know, disappoint her parents and not show up to the family store, but still also do her due diligence as, you know, preparing mom. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I can think of quite, quite a few examples, but one um, in mind uh, that I remember distinctly, a lady, she, I don't remember exactly how much weight she lost, but um, she was just so excited with the weight loss um, that, you know, her son, uh, her family was really involved and her son wanted to, you know, encourage her to exercise. So he bought her a treadmill. And, um, and then she would have her son or someone take a video of her exercising. And then she would come to my, when she would come to my office, see, look, I'm exercising. She would show, show you the, the video. video. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was definitely a first. I thought that was the most, the funniest thing, but she did so well. She was just so motivated. Um, and you know, it, it made me feel good because I felt like, you know, I'm really making an impact with her and, and she's really going to keep going with this, you know? <laughs> hmm. Wow. These are some amazing stories. I guess now that we've heard about some of your success stories, I also want to ask so that the audience can hear more about somebody that may be a little more resistant to recommendations. How do you guys usually go about a patient that may be resistant or needs that extra help? I just meet them where they're at. Yeah. Particularly uh, Central American community, there's a belief that insulin is poison, that it'll break your kidneys or lead to amputations, you know, a lot of misinformation. So we definitely tell the patient, okay, you know, your A1C is 14, but if insulin is not where you're ready to go yet, that's fine. And you come up with other medications, try to do combination pills, right? Save them a copay. If they're on Genuvia metformin, get them on Genumet, things like that. Or even just starting out, like I said, basal insulin isn't a once a week med, but if that's where the patient is at, let's start once a week so they can see it's not that bad, so they can get used to it. So I just think, you know, motivational interviewing skills, right? Rolling with resistance, meeting them where they're at, trying to find the one thing that they're willing to do different, even if it's so, so small and build on that. So of course there's tons of resistance. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with Julie. You, you have to kind of see where what they're ready for. Um, because if you try to push them in a direction that they don't want to go, yeah, it, then they're just going to put up a wall and then they won't, they won't go in any direction. So you, you kind of have to feel them out and see what they're willing to do. Um, and then, you know, okay, we're going to go in this direction. What, what's, what's going to be your first step? Um, these are the options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a process. You know, I always tell them you can't change everything in one session. You just can't can't do it. And and the same goes for you know educating you. We can't explain every single thing under the sun in one session. It's just not it's not feasible. And and you're not going to remember it. <laughs> So some patients I try to scare a little bit um, and, and, and tell them that the diabetes out of control uh, is way worse uh, than, than using medi- taking medication or using insulin. Um, I give them some examples of other patients that I have that are complicated and have kidney issues and uh, are ampu- have amputations. Um, and I try to scare them, and uh, sometimes it does help. They they will uh, be, become more adherent, 
or, or try at least try the insulin. And when they try it and they see how simple it really is, uh, there's a certain stigma with using insulin. And, uh, you know, it's actually, you know, not with the pens now and the tiny little needles. Uh, I've had people inject themselves and say, that's all, that's it. And I go, that's it. You know? Yeah, we have a lot of yeah. sample pens. Every time a box of pens expires, we use it, put it like in our sample teaching kit. Um, definitely letting them play with it, touch it, poke themselves, you know, of course, observing OSHA and all that, but like, it just, it reduces the barrier, the fear. I think there's this idea like, oh, if I need to start insulin, something must be wrong. Or it's like, once I cross that line, I can't uncross it. And, you know, it's not true, but we, we just meet them where they're at, basically. That's awesome. I think it really is important, like you said, to roll with resistance, meet them at where they're at, figure out what we could do to help them, even if it is a small change. Even if they're having soda, you know, seven times a week, maybe they could have that soda three times a week instead. And I agree. I think it's those types of things that I know Rachel and I counsel on a lot as well when we're talking to patients with diabetes. I guess my last question for you all is just some general advice that you would give to other practitioners that are just getting started in diabetes management or something that you found that's really good advice for somebody like Rachel and I that are new practitioners or any kind of general advice that you guys would like to talk about to our audience. I would say there's a lot of funding out there that goes unclaimed. So much grant money, uh, particularly if you're working with a population that's underserved, like veterans or, you know, non-English speaking patients or rural, uh, claim that grant money because that grant money is going to support your program, you know, the salaries, the supplies you need. So always, you know, try to do your research. That's one thing that I learned in the beginning. We were not so well resourced and it was really hard to, you know, find free sample pens, find WooCommerce and things like that. And the second is to just educate yourself. Uh, everyone in this room is CDCES or on their way to doing so. And I mean, just by becoming certified, you learn so many things. You build a network from ADCs, um, things like that. So I would just say education and grant funding to support. Can you guys think of anything else? No, I mean, just by becoming a, a diabetes educator, like Julie was saying, you become part of a network. So, you know, these little bumps in the road, you have other people that you can kind of reach out to when when you have questions, you know, um, uh, it's definitely helpful. I, you know, we're all, you know, we have two different certifications. So um, not only the pharmacy, pharmacists have their pharmacy network, but also you know, the diabetes educator network. Um, I'm a dietitian as well as a diabetes educator. So, you know, um, the more you are educated, the easier it becomes because then, you know, you have a huge network to reach out to when you cross, you know, like a, a stumbling block. You yeah, uh, find a job in a clinic setting. <clears throat> you learn so much. I mean, there's, there's no substitute for experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been here about eight months and uh, I, I shadowed uh, Julie for like two to three months and I learned so much and then uh, uh, I studied and studied like crazy <laughs> and uh, I've learned with the patients and uh, I just know way so much more now um, than, than when I started. It's just unbelievable the amount of uh, knowledge that I've gained through, through experience.
So find a job and, and you know, in a setting that uh, you get to, you know, practice with uh, uh, diabetic uh, patients. Yeah, I would say DSMES outpatient programs, or at least if you're in a hospital environment, transition of care team, right? Diabetes is one of the top readmission rate uh, conditions. So having a really good diabetes educator that can help prevent that patient come back, you know, give them the tools they need, find out what barriers are already there. Because some patients, they're right back in just because they couldn't afford the meds they were discharged on. Or they're right back in because no one told them what a carb was. I ask a patient, do you know what foods increase your sugar? Paula, what do they say all the time? Bacon? Fried yeah, foods? Yeah, fatty foods. And we're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> That's not good for you. That's not the right answer, right? So just basics, just like that. So, yeah, definitely outpatient environment is very helpful. I like how you guys said real world experience in the clinic. I think that's a lot of what Rachel and I are doing right now, getting exposed as residents. I think that's the whole reason we even did a residency in the first place is to get that experience. So we definitely agree. And as new practitioners, that's what we're working on right now. Right, Rachel? Yes, definitely lots of experience. We're learning a lot in residency. Um, but I just wanted to thank you guys all for coming on the podcast. It's so lovely having a group of people. We normally just interview one person at a time. So this was some really great conversations and I just really enjoyed hearing all of your stories. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a first time for me and uh, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into our DSMES series, Giving a Shot About Diabetes. Thank you so much to our group of guests today for joining us, and I look forward to many more conversations. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and others on the Pharmacy Podcast Network on any of your favorite podcast directories. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.